Welcome to the Entrepreneur's MBA, bringing you lessons from real-life entrepreneurs they don't teach in business school. Here's your host, business coach and marketing strategist, Adam Kipnis. There's so much more to business than just doing what you do. It's how do you put yourself out there? How do you get in front of other people? How do you add additional revenue streams to your business? And a lot of that can be done through the internet, but most people don't know how to do it. Today, I've got an expert who has done this. He was at the, the beginning of the internet as, as far as uh, the, the late 90s and, uh, and how it really came upon us and became a useful thing for us to do. Larry Ludwig is a master at affiliate marketing, at SEO, at business, and knowing how to make the most of a digital marketing strategy. Uh, Larry, thanks for joining me today, I appreciate it. Thank you. So let's talk a little bit about the, the beginning, right? It was the, the late 90s, and the internet was a thing that was out there. I think it was you know, 94, 95, 96 that that you first became involved what what drew you to it at the beginning um i just i mean i had a computer science background so i graduated from clemson university computer science and i saw you know before that i had a lot of background in you know technology and using the internet and just saw the web was really being the future i mean this was really at the beginning stages when i was still in college and i just saw that that this is going to be the future of um, you know the next wave of technology if you will and this is before that it was what's called client server which was kind of a precursor to the web and i just knew that this was the next phase of that and just you know went from there and ran with it well it's interesting that i don't want to say you're a visionary but you are kind of a visionary because i remember when prodigy came out back in <laughs> uh whatever it was 1994 yeah. you could download a page but you you'd start then you'd go eat dinner you'd come back and it'd finally be downloaded exactly. it wasn't the, with the speed and ease that we have today. Well, what is, how did, you, how, did, how did you put in your head that, all right, this is going to be big, even though it doesn't really do anything today? Um, well, that's not to say without, you know, I, I, I envision also the Apple Newton, which was the precursor to the Apple iPhone was going to be a success as well. But it, after I started using it, I realized it's going to be a massive failure. So not every technology and not everything I see pans out the way you think it will. But I guess I saw the, I don't know, I just think it was, I knew that the next wave of technology was gonna be much more mass and changing the way we, we digest uh, content. So I knew the web was gonna be part of that because it just was, it lent itself very well to many different mediums, meaning things like advertising to publications to uh, just overall commerce on the web. I mean, it's just commonplace nowadays. But back then, it was a really big deal. You know, just doing a very basic transaction and, you know, entering your credit card was a big, you know, people were really scared to do that at the time. And I just knew eventually that was to become more commonplace. It just, you know, you know, look how quickly the iPhone has changed in the past 10 years as well. I mean, before that, what did we do? Right. We had our flip phones and laptops that weighed was, 12 yeah. pounds. It was really, yeah, it was really <laughs> difficult to do. You know, we take for granted how easy we can access and order stuff on our iPhones now. And before that, it was much more difficult. You had to go to a computer, you know, log in, you know, place the order, and then it would come. Nowadays, you can literally do it on your phone while you're on the go. Yeah, now it, it, it's second nature. Now things get automatically done for us that way. So thinking back to when, when you first started working on the web, was it 
was it obvious to you the business that you were going to make out of it? Or did you try a number of things before you figured out how to, to make it work for you as a business, as something to drive revenue? I mean, it's always trial and error. I mean, I can't say I, I always got it right. Without question, it was definitely failures or, or things you would think would go one way did not. And things like, I, again, at the time when I first started in the 90s, you know, creating an e-commerce store, you had to build it up from scratch. You literally had to create something, you know, program it either yourself or hire someone to do that. Nowadays, we take for granted we can easily, you know, get a WordPress or WooCommerce or Shopify. And literally in 15 minutes, we have an e-commerce store. So as far as failures are concerned, I mean, I guess, I mean, it took a while for me to, I saw the vision as far as, you know, one-to-one marketing. There was a book, in fact, in the mid-90s that talked about this. But it was really the pie in the sky dream that, you know, while it was technically possible with the, the technologies out there, it was just very hard to implement. And nowadays we can do that. So it's, at least for my end, we're finally seeing in the past five, 10 years, what was considered dreams or pie in the sky, what was possible with the internet is really becoming a reality. And not only reality for big companies, but I think more importantly for small companies. No, I think, and I think big, small companies can be, look, act, and feel bigger with the power of the internet. What was the first business that, that you got to? We'll talk a little bit about some of the, 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 the major successes you had, but what was the first business that you had that was, that was internet-based that, that was really the jumpstart? Well, I, I, so in the mid-90s, I worked for an ad agency and then eventually decided to go off on my own. I created a web development, web hosting company, and that was late 99. And just unfortunately realized how much of a terrible business that really is. It's such a commodity, even more so nowadays, but even back then it was still a commodity. So people really priced things out on, you know, how much disk space, how much bandwidth, how much email accounts you got, as opposed to really, I guess, respecting or understanding all the work involved to really manage a server, manage a service to make sure it's up 24 uh, seven. But back then it was, that was my first business and, and it was a moderate success. I mean, I did okay with it, but I realized it was, I was getting frustrated with, especially developing and designing for others. Just the problems that came with that, meaning just the frustrations of people expecting everything for very little money. And I, I guess I had an inspiration in late 2009. Why don't I just instead of creating for others, create one for myself. And, and how did you decide on the, the, the topic, right? You, you, if you're going to create one for yourself, you can do it on digital marketing, but that wasn't really where, and web hosting, but that really wasn't where the passion was. That really wasn't where the sex was, success was. So you took it in a little bit different direction. Talk about your thought process in going to the, the, the financial space, the blogging space to build it for yourself and, and put it out there. Well, I saw in 2008, a site was sold for $12 million called uh, Bankaholic. And I knew it was affiliate based and I knew it was only one person running the whole show. And that kind of gave me the light bulb, um, the proverbial light bulb that went off in my head saying, why don't I do this for myself? And instead of creating, and on top of that, had interest in financial, uh, be it investments or just overall personal finance. So I you know, scoured the internet and looked at ideas. And initially I created one on saving and banking in 2009. I just knew <laughs> rates were as low as possible, sort of what we're dealing with now today, and just knew that banking CD rates or savings rates are going to be really low. So the idea of a huge opportunity in that space just didn't really interest me. Uh, so I, I looked at, well, what else can I talk about? What else do I have interest in? And where I guess I decided to do investing instead because of most people were in debt at the time and most people could talk about debt, but I just looked at that as a crowded market. 
one I was talking about investing since we're at the, you know, the, the low end of the, the market, so to speak, where in the midst of the recession of 2008, 2009, one I do one on investing instead. And that's kind of how it's created Investor Junkie from that. And, and with Investor Junkie, you had, right, you had to have a, a number of skills. One, had, one was content. You had to come up with something to, to be there. You had to find the right people. You had to know how to get in front of people. And then you had to monetize it. Talk to us about the steps of, from the start of Investor Junkie. You know, where did you start first and how did you build it up to actually be able to monetize it on a, on a regular and global basis? Um, when I first started out, um, it, about a year and a half in, I was almost to the point where I wanted to quit, in fact. Uh, it wasn't really much, much of a success. And I guess part of it was at the time, didn't fully understand. I mean, I knew how to monetize, but I didn't know how to monetize effectively. I think that was the key distinction where I was writing more about my personal experiences and just writing things from a more of an economic standpoint and what I saw in the marketplace or what investments I thought were interesting as opposed to I meaning it was more self-serving where I, I, I guess the, the, the genesis or the, the, the pivot point, if you will, was to go, okay, let's talk about things that can help others. And I think that was a key distinction. And I saw, decided to talk more about reviews of various products and services out there on top of, um, you know, what, what was the actual user experience in, say, using a robo-advisor or using this uh, investment service called Lending Club at the time that I just felt was uh, most people were not talking about it in detail. And that's kind of how the site was uh, created. So from there, about a year and a half in, realized that was the, the angle I should go for and really started taking off from there. On top of that, it lent itself very well to affiliate marketing as well. We can monetize through links through the site where I would get paid on commission or conversion or someone sign up for said services. And affiliate marketing is, is something that no matter what your site is, everyone can do. But a lot of websites, especially at that time, were really focused on trying to get advertising, trying to get people to pay them to put ad banner ads and whatnot on their sites. Talk a little bit about the, the difference between an advertised based site and an affi and affiliate marketing based site and why affiliate marketing was the direction to go? Well, I mean, the thing I hate about advertising is it's, it's purely a volume play, meaning the more traffic you get, the more income you make. And if anything, it's becoming less and less effective, especially in the past few years with the, the advent of uh, ad, you know, ad blockers on your browsers and just people ignoring ad banners altogether. Hence why you see many you know, publishing uh, sites have you know, literally 5, 10, 15 ads on a page. It just becomes ridiculous, and it, it really hurts the user experience, in my opinion. Uh, with that said, affiliate marketing, instead of being what's called CPC or cost per click for ads, it's usually CPA or cost per action. So it's much more about quality than quantity, and I think that's a key distinction. I mean, you do not get paid as an affiliate unless a conversion occurs. So you can have, you know, literally hundreds of thousands of visitors, but if you're, you're sending them to the wrong offer or to a, a thing that people have no interest in, it doesn't really matter. Where ad banners typically convert no matter who the audience is. So that's a, a key distinction with that affiliate marketing. It's just all about making sure you send the right audience to the right service. And that's where you know, on a review site and a comparison site, I think really lends itself well. That you can, you can make sure you, you're, you're wanting to, you get rewarded for making sure everyone's happy in that transaction, be it the visitor, the merchant, of course, and also yourself. Everyone gets rewarded. Everyone gets ha is happy in the end because of you sent the right person to the right service. That's awesome. So where, where did you find your first partners 
to uh, on the on the affiliate side? Um, there are various affiliate networks out there. I mean, the, the interesting thing is, and this is a big just, uh, big brouhaha right now in the affiliate marketing space, is Amazon just recently uh, slashed their affiliate revenues or commissions for many different categories, and in some cases, 50% or more. And that's usually the first go-to that most people do in affiliate marketing or associate with affiliate marketing is Amazon. In my opinion, I always look at Amazon as the, the affiliate of last resort. I mean, you should use them only if you have to just because of, I don't think they're a good affiliate partner on top of the payouts that are so low. And especially now they're going towards 1%, 3% in some cases. The, the payouts are almost better to do ad banners instead. With that said, you know, there, there are many affiliate networks out there. Uh, Commission Junction is the, one of the popular ones out there. Impact Radius or Impact is another. Um, uh, Share of Sales, another one. There's really literally 5, 10, 15 major affiliate networks that you can get not only one or two merchants you can work with, but literally hundreds, if not thousands. And they have it really from any category you can imagine, from you know, personal finance that I was involved in, to clothing, to uh, housewares, to you know, home improvement, you name it. So you don't have to be limited to just one. You know, each network has their pluses and minuses, and some have more of a certain category niche than others. With that said, you, know, you might get to a certain point in size in affiliate marketing, we, you want to create these one-to-one -one relationships, go directly to the merchant as opposed to going to a network. And that's a whole other topic, but ultimately you can create these one-to-one -one relationships and you, you have a better, stronger position with them. You can create exclusive offers. You can do all sorts of advanced topics uh, with affiliate marketing. With Investor Junkie, you, you found some affiliates, you began to monetize it, you were getting traffic. How did you know or how did, how did you think about, I guess, is a, is a better way to ask it, if you had the right affiliates? How long did you have them on your site to see if they were, the right, for, they were right for your audience? Is that a quick thing, or is that something that you really had to wait out and, and, and see how it played out for a little while? Um, I'm actually laughing at this because of the, the common thing that mar people who would not be familiar with affiliate marketing or marketers on the, the other side of the coin, you know, the merchants that would work, work with us, a lot of them had the, the concepts of, uh, you know, build it and they would come. That the, the field of dreams, if you will, that they would you know, instantly, because we had over 300,000 visitors to our site on a, a monthly basis, that because of we had this huge audience, they would instantly convert for that said product. And that could have been farther from the truth. That ultimately it was about making sure, again, we sent the right person, the right audience to the right service. And ultimately they had to build up traffic ahead of time on that said product, meaning they had to have higher up on that sales funnel, you know, advertising, promotions, marketing to promote that product before it even came to us. We were much further down on that sales funnel, usually closer to conversion where they were much more at the review and comparison phase. So they were already were familiar with more likely that, with that product where, you know, again, you got to work on from a marketing standpoint, get people interested in your said product much higher up on that sales funnel first. So ultimately, well, at least for our site, some other sites and other bloggers might be different. They, why they're more of a brand in themselves, a more personal brand, where they can build up traffic uh, just by mentioning a product. But in our case, we're much further down that funnel. So each blog is a little different, but in our case, uh, a lot of uh, the, the merchants we worked with had that misconception ahead of time, thinking, again, because we had a huge audience, by very nature, would instantly yield conversions, and that was not true. That's really interesting in, in, in just talking about where you were in the funnel and... For, for yourself, 
how did you uh, come to understand where you were in the funnel? Because I think a lot of people listening don't know where they are in in the, their their visitors, their bloggers, their their their, their visitors, their their traffic, their prospects. They have no idea where they are. How did you de- identify where you fit in your visitors? Uh, path for lack of a better term? Um, that's a good question. Because initially it was by accident. I mean, it just was helped, helping understand and discover how the whole process worked. And I guess being now doing this for almost 10 years, it was, it would it really helped me understand where that whole, pro, you know, understanding the idea of it or concept of sales funnel. First, understanding that is a, I think a key concept. After that, you know, people are, people are in different parts of that decision process where, as an affiliate marketer, you're usually further on in the sales process. But if you have your own product, you have to understand it usually takes multiple touch points along the way before they finally convert. And affiliate marketing can definitely be part of that equation. Without a question, it should be an effective part of that equation. But I think most people don't think of it in that, those terms. They, they think of it, you know, they, they'll do an ad banner on Facebook and they'll instantly convert you know, from that said ad banner. And that's usually not how people work. They take multiple touch points. Not only has that been shown over the years, without question, it's true, but even from now, we can get data and analytics that show exactly how many times they need to touch your brand before they finally convert. And in my cases, I've had clients that, again, shows, you know, 10 times, in some cases, even more before they finally convert. So you have to keep that in mind. You have to understand, you know, is the example I use with SEO, for example, is what is a mortgage is different from what's the best mortgage rate? What is a mortgage? They're interested much more about education on a mortgage, what's the best mortgage rate? It's a totally different intent. So you have to understand your know, keywords if you're doing it on SEO or for sales for ad banners. You know where you are in that sales process. Where you know if you're doing cold traffic, expect going directly towards the sale, especially for a high ticket item. I think it's silly. You have to under, you have to warm them up. So putting them through an email sequence, through you know additional touch points or remarketing them through you know, Facebook ads or Google ads makes more sense as opposed to just hitting them up initially with that offer. You have to really plan it out is really the key. And that makes sense. And we're talking with Larry Ludwig on the Entrepreneur's MBA podcast. And uh, if you go to LarryLudwig.com, you can find out more about what we're talking about, what he does. Let me talk a little bit about the types of businesses that lend itself well to affiliate marketing. Are, if someone has, has a website, they've got some traffic, what types of businesses lend themselves really well to affiliate marketing and how can people add this to them without disrupting their current business, right? Because there is a, a fair amount of understanding that needs to go in and work that has to go in to add additional income streams to an existing business or website. So what are the, what are the types of businesses that lend themselves really well to it and how do they go about managing that with their day-to-day? Well, are you referring to as a publisher or are you referring to really existing business that has, sells their own products and services? Because if a publisher you know, the, on that side of the coin that I was on, it's one thing. I was a, a, someone who sells their own product or a merchant that has their own products and services. But without question, you should be doing affiliate marketing as well, both in terms of offering your own products and services through affiliate channel, but also complementing your existing businesses or business by actually adding, you know, a complementary products. Like actually, I use the example of, let's say you sell restoration car parts, right? You have, uh, you know, you do resto, let's say you love classic cars and you sell classic car parts for, say, a Chevy Nova or, a, you know, a Chevy uh, Camaro. And from there, you only sell those car parts. You don't sell tires and rims. But yet, 
you know, you want to offer some value add. So what you do is you go to Tire Rack, who does have an affiliate program, and you say, okay, I'm going to partner with you and recommend various tire, tires and rims for these, you know, classic cars. So as a resto mod, right, you can, you know, offer and recommend various tires and rims and get a cut on that for every sale. So instead of having to then add to your warehouse, you know, more, more supply of tires and rims, you can recommend a third party and instantly get commission on that. So from a, from a business standpoint, it's a win-win. You can make your customers happier in the end, yet not have more overhead and recommend a, you know, a trusted brand that's already out there as opposed to doing it yourself. That, mean, that makes a lot of sense. And, and it brings up an interesting, you brought up a really interesting thing that just popped in my head of there are two directions to go in the affiliate marketing world. You can be an affiliate or you can have affiliates. So we just talked about the having affiliate by looking at complementary products and services that your customers may want because you already have them and they're going to want additional things. Now let's talk about being an affiliate, right? There are a lot of people out there listening that candidly probably suck at driving their own traffic. So they might have great products and services, but no one's coming to their website, but they can affiliate with others who do have traffic. How do you, how does one go about being an affiliate to others where they've got a complimentary product to other people's sites? Um, I mean, definitely it's a, it's a smart way to do it because again, you only have to pay uh, if there's a conversion that occurs. So the beauty of that is you don't have to, you know, unlike traditional ad banners where you pay per click, there's no you know, guarantee that will call it, create into a customer. You do a CPA model, you define not only what the terms are, but the payout, and you can, you can go from the very basics of, I'll pay you $5 per lead, you know, an email lead, to all the way to, I require not only that they become, sign up as a customer, but they require a deposit as well. In my case, with the robo-advisors I work with, where they actually not only require them to sign up, but to deposit money in the account as well. So it really varies. You can, you define, with affiliate marketing, you define the terms, which is great, because you can define what success and or failure is. Where again, the, tr the traditional ad model, it's, it's usually CPC, or, you know, it's usually CPM where it's just either a view or a click. And honestly, that doesn't, that doesn't necessarily yield a conversion. So you, you can define these terms. That's the first, I think, key distinction, distinction with affiliate marketing that everyone should realize in your audience is that that really makes affiliate marketing a great and effective and cheap way to grow your business without really spending a lot of money. No, that's awesome. And critically important right now, as we're recording this, we're in the middle of the, the COVID pandemic. Everyone's at home, everyone's online, and ad additional ways to make money that are fast, cheap, and relatively easy, right? Nothing's, maybe I, I would say relatively simple. Easy is a whole different story. How are you guiding your current clients, the people that you're consulting with today, on how to benefit from an environment where people are online more, they are in front of their computers more, whether it's SEO, whether it's finding new affiliates, where are you guiding people today to make the most of a very difficult financial market that we're in right now? Well, let me, let me, let me uh, precursor the, the previous question or answer is the, the interesting thing with affiliate marketing is a lot of, um, this happened in 2008, 2009 as well. There's a lot of merchants shut down their affiliate programs right now or have shut down. Amazon including, where I mentioned they decrease their, their commissions or payouts to various uh, affiliates, which is kind of ironic because if it doesn't cost you any more, 
you know, to do this. Like I said, it's only based on CPA, but yet a lot of merchants don't think of it that way. They usually tie it to their ad revenue or ad, you know, uh, spend, which doesn't make sense. So honestly, if you're a business owner, you really should think about affiliate marketing differently than you do through traditional ad banners. So get that out of the way for a second. The, in terms of answer your original question, I, I guess the biggest opportunity right now is really, you know, the, the classic analogy is, you know, the economy is like going through different seasons. We're, kind of, we're definitely without question in winter right now. So I would guess I would really focus on what can you do now to build up your brand, build up your trust, while it may not be maximum revenue growth, you really focus on just building trust and authority in that said space. You know, in some cases, you may even give away certain things for free or a massive discount at this time of need. Interesting. And in, I want to switch over a little bit to, to the blogging, the blogging space, because that's where you started. You had a topic that you were interested in and that people had interest in. How did you go about the strategy of, how am I going to get people to this? How am I going to drive more visitors and build a business out of it? Right? Because a lot of people blog, a lot of people say they want to blog, but most blogs get no attention. How, do, how did you and how do you guide people to actually make a blog something uh, visible, something interesting, and something financially viable? Well, I mean, the, the stats show... Um, SEO is a huge part of traffic, even in this day and age, where it can be anywhere from, depending on the niche, it can be anywhere from 50% up to 80, 90% of all traffic is SEO. So if you're not focusing on search engine optimization or organic search, you're missing out on a huge audience. Uh, with that said, you know, there's other opportunities as well. You should do, I always recommend doing you know, organic search, paid traffic, because of, you can do, you can just guarantee if anything, you should at minimum measure that stuff, but you should do paid traffic and should look at other things like uh, certain social media channels like YouTube as a great example, where I think it's not fully utilized yet and definitely offers some great opportunities on top of uh, where, you know, what we're doing right now, podcasting as well. You know, those three, those four mediums, I think offer some great opportunities still. That's great. And, and if you go to Larry's site at LarryLedwig.com, you can hear a little bit about his story, but he eventually turned his blog, not only to a, into a revenue producing asset, but something that he sold for $6 million that, that changed his life. Now, Larry, as you were, as you were building this, when did you say, all right, this site is financially viable, right? Because it, it, all businesses can drive some revenue, but this was something that is, was a little bit a little bit different way to make money. When was it financially viable and how did you put it on a path where it was a, a valuable enough that someone would actually want it? Well, I mean, going back to the, the uh, mention that site Bankaholic, and I also knew a few other bloggers that sold in around 2011. In fact, good friends with many of them. And it's just, at the time, it was, went to this conference called FinCon in 2011 and saw them on stage and they discussed their success story like I have. And so I was like, I want to be in that same position, you know, five, six years out. And, you know, I, I kind of knew right off the, the disadvantage they had, in my opinion, was it's very much the, uh, and this is a mistake with a lot of bloggers, not just personal finance bloggers, but they tie their identity to the blog. And I knew right away that was a mistake because of, from a potential purchaser of a, an asset like this, who would want to actually buy, you know, a brand that's tied to a person's name or tied directly to the, the author of the site. 
So I right away knew that I wanted to create a brand that's into itself. So I created Investor Junkie for that exact purpose. I knew I wanted a brand that was independent of me and had nothing to do with me that could be easily sold and then the new owners take it on without issue. So I, that was kind of the, from very much from the get-go, I knew that was an issue. Uh, but outside of that, I guess it was probably year, about two years in where I, I looked at, again, again, a year and a half in, I was almost wanting to quit. And about as I changed and pivoted, about six months in after that, I kind of saw the revenue coming on and knew it was going to be a success story. But I didn't know that, you know, I, I can't say, I mean, in hindsight, I didn't think I was going to sell it. But, you know, that was the initial goal. And I guess, you know, based on the opportunities out there, I just knew it was time to sell in 2018. And that was a great opportunity and obviously wonderful for, for yourself and your family. And now you're transitioning a bit from that model of having a, a business brand to more of a personal brand. You're, you're speaking more, you're coming on podcasts like this, you're, you're putting things around yourself versus around a, a brand name. Why the change and how have your tactics changed in, in doing what you're doing now versus what you did with Investor Junkie? Well, you know, the, the one mistake I can say, it, the one mistake I did do in building Investor Junkie was not building a personal brand in parallel to Investor Junkie. So any fellow entrepreneurs out there, if you're not building your own personal brand in parallel, you should definitely do that. With that said, you know, I can build out a personal brand without any fear, you know, had a good, you know, cash out, had a good payout, that I don't have to worry about selling ever again. So I'm building a personal brand. One is to, as I build out other businesses in the future, I still have, you know, identity and have people follow me along the way in you know, various uh, business endeavors I take on. But on top of that, I have, you know, I have an asset that is ingrained in part of me where I don't, I don't have to worry about selling it. The goal is not to sell it, but the goal is to build out a personal identity, you know, be a thought leader in that said space. So with that said, um, yeah, I mean, on top of, I, I, I think right now where I'm at financially and where I'm at career-wise, I think I, especially with the, especially now, if anything, more than ever, I think as people struggle with businesses and marketing, I think people need more help than ever. And not only that, with, with affiliate marketing, I think properly and effectively using it on their businesses, both on the merchant side and the affiliate themselves. I appreciate that. And I appreciate you, you, you being here and, and just, there's a ton of information, a ton that people can take away on the affiliate side, on the traffic side and on the blogging side. But my last question as we wrap up is, all right, someone's listening and they need to drive more revenue and they, the affiliate thing makes sense for them. It's going through their head. Where do they start? What's the one thing they can do as soon as they're done listening to get a kickstart on it? They can go to your site and get more information there. But what do you recommend that people do first in order to position themselves to begin to take advantage of affiliate marketing and some of the, the traffic driving sources we've talked about? I guess I would think of it what, think of it from a strategy point of view. Think about what businesses complement your business. So, or, or if you're a publisher, just what, what various um, you know, merchants out there that really represent or, or are in your same category and you can discuss on your blog. Not obviously, I mean, this is the thing I find interesting is you know, I'm not going to pick on mommy bloggers for the sake of picking on them, but they're, they're a niche called mommy bloggers that talk about, let's say, cooking, couponing, you know, taking care of children, what have you. But then they'll have on their site, you know, you too can sign up for Bluehost and become a you know, Bluehost uh, create a blog yourself. And it just doesn't really tie in together with the brand. 
So to me, it's not about you know promoting any product or service out there that has an affiliate program. It's about promoting products and services that not only that you can associate with, but maybe even use yourself and your, your audience can associate with as well. So I think first and foremost is thinking about your audience and making sure you represent and discuss products and services that really match your identity, match your brand. So again, if you're gonna talk about, um, in my case, you know, investing, it doesn't make sense that then again, have a blue host, how to, you know, how to make money with hosting. It just doesn't make sense. So keep that in mind when you start working on your, your, uh, your affiliate marketing uh, ideas and really you know, build it out from there. So that would be the first step is without question, you find or find brands that you can work with and create an affiliate program or work with them on using their affiliate program. I appreciate that. I appreciate the information, Larry. Thanks so, so much for being here. Thank you, Adam. And thanks everyone for listening to today's episode of the Entrepreneur's MBA podcast. You've been listening to the Entrepreneur's MBA. Download Adam's free book, How to Make More Money in Your Business at www.freebookfromadam.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.